Good evening. I want to welcome everybody to another live edition of the uh, Trumpet Series Bible Study Broadcast. This is your host, Brother Nick Bailey. It's good to uh, have you tonight. I know we're uh, coming to you a little later on today, but I believe God's timing's perfect. It's been a busy time, busy day. And, you know, to be honest with you, the next couple of weeks is going to be this way because we've got a lot going on. We'll tell you more about that here soon. It's been a few, couple of days since we've done any kind of music, but the Lord laid this song on my heart tonight. So I want to sing it for you this evening. And again, this is something, like I've said, it's not necessarily my comfort zone, but, uh, you know, just... Uh, may not be for you, but as much as anything, it's for me. So I hope it'll be a blessing to you today.
Amen. I hope you enjoyed that song tonight. He loved me to death. That's a song that uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, Jimmy Cottle, made uh, popular. I say that. I'm not so sure that he was the first one that sang it. I know the Parsons family has uh, also sang it and done a wonderful job. But I'm thankful that Jesus loved me to death tonight. And hallelujah, praise his name for that. Again, I want to welcome you to another uh, edition of the uh, Trumpet Series Bible Study Broadcast. Here we go on this Monday. November the 8th, 2021, as we move right along through another month. And um, amen. I hope everybody's had a wonderful weekend and, uh, you know, good Monday. Monday, fun day. Praise God. Hallelujah. And uh, I know it's been a busy day for me, and I'm sure it has as you as well. But what a weekend we had. Man, I'll tell you, we had a wonderful night on Friday. As Friday night, we had the Hope for America rally here at United Baptist Church with Brother D.R. Harrison, the entire Voice of Hope team, Brother Greg Locke. And uh, the day came, and boy, they just blew the roof off this place, and wonderful preaching. If you were not able to attend that service, you could go to the United Baptist Church uh, YouTube page, and you could upload uh, that service, or excuse me, we uploaded that service uh, onto our church page, and you uh, want to encourage you to feel free to go and watch the Hope for America rally. Just some wonderful preaching, uh, anointed singing, and the Lord blessed in a great and mighty way. On Friday, then, I know that Saturday was a busy day for us as we had uh, door to door visitation um, at our church. And then we had a, a, an outing, a fall outing. Uh, one of the families in our church hosted the church family on their property on top of a big old hill right here in northeast Tennessee. What a view as we um, roasted some hot dogs, made some s'mores, and had a hayride. Um, and uh, boy, just had a blast. Had an absolute blast. Saturday night, what a blessing and a privilege it is. Or it was for me to watch uh, the Tennessee Volunteers beat the Kentucky Wildcats. And that in itself was worth the entire weekend. Uh, amen. Uh, the end the highlight of the entire weekend was yesterday's church service. I know that here at United, and I heard that the same could be said about some other churches, where the Lord came down and blessed. Uh, I know especially our Sunday morning service here at United, where we experienced an undeniable manifestation of the Holy Ghost in our midst. Here we are, getting right into another week, and what a busy week it's going to be. As we are right on the verge, we're one week away. This time next Monday night, we'll be right in the middle of our art community revival. First night of the meeting. And boy, we've got a lot going on as we're, we're just working as hard as we can to prepare ourselves for the art community revival. And again, I've been trying to share this with you for at least the last month as it kicks off at Crescent School, the Crescent School venue here in Greenville, Tennessee on uh, Main Street, West Main Street, and uh, the Crescent School Auditorium, 7 o'clock p.m. each night. There'll be special preaching and uh, special singing every night, and the highlight of the week will be Friday where we're going to have a, 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 a youth emphasis uh, in the service, and uh, Brother Mike Sage, pastor of Freedom Baptist Tabernacle in Atkins, Virginia, he's going to be bringing the message and of the day, a group, a wonderful singing group out of his church. They'll be providing the special music. Again, that's um, November the 15th to the 19th, Monday through Friday, 7 o'clock p.m. at the Crescent School Auditorium. 
And again, there's no charge for that. I, you know, um, and you'll understand why there's been some confusion there, but no charge. We're not going to charge anybody for attending a worship service. But then on Saturday, we're going to have our first annual ARC banquet. And this is uh, something that we're just uh, we're excited about. Uh, uh, again, trying to make our community here in Greenville, Tennessee, more aware of what God is doing by way of the ARC ministry. So again, an ARC banquet, there'll be a, covered, a catered meal, excuse me. There's going to be a ministry presentation. There's going to be a silent auction. And uh, then there's going to be a, a fundraising event to, to where we try to generate some in financial help and income so that we can continue to progress and move the art ministries forward uh, according to the will of God. So, um, you know, there are sponsorships available for the art banquet. If you have a local business here in Greene County or in the Tri-Cities area, and you would like to sponsor, be a sponsor of the ARC Banquet. Uh, you can do that. We have table sponsors available for uh, $100 per table. Uh, excuse me, $200 per table. Uh, for a table sponsor, get your logo uh, at one of the seating tables there at the banquet. We do have full page uh, uh, ARC Banquet uh, sponsors. We'll put your logo and the name of your business on a full page in one of our uh, art booklets. We're giving booklets out to all of the, um, the attendees of the art banquet and uh, your business and your uh, logo, the logo of your business will be displayed on a full page advertisement in the art booklet. So uh, again, that's $100 for a full page ad, $75 for a, a half page ad, and $50 for a quarter page advertisement. We also need donated items for our silent auction. Uh, again, if business would like to uh, donate items that can be auctioned off at the silent auction uh, at the art banquet, you can do that. Also, we uh, are certainly receiving one-time uh, donations, and then we're looking for some monthly supporting partners, whether it be local churches, businesses, individuals who would commit themselves to partner with us on a monthly basis. As far as the art banquet itself is concerned, uh, tickets can be purchased uh, at, um, uh, the, um, at the art thrift store on Bernard Avenue here in Greenville. Tickets are $10 for adults, $5 for children, and three and under get in free of charge. And uh, you know, as far as the kind of meal that you're gonna be getting, a, a wonderful, good uh, home-cooked meal, uh, you're going to have a hard time meeting the price, $10 uh, per plate. Again, that includes your drink and your dessert, everything for $10. You're going to have a hard time beating that as far as a Saturday night meal is concerned. So come out and sponsor and support. Get in on what God's doing at the Ark Ministries, the Ark Revival. Again, that's November the 15th through the 19th, Monday through Friday, 7 o'clock p.m. Crescent School location, the Ark Banquet, Saturday, uh, November the 20th. Uh, 5 o'clock p.m. once again in the, the Crescent School uh, Auditorium. Purchase your tickets at the Art Thrift Store or we will be selling tickets at the door as well. All right, so uh, thank God for all he's doing. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Before we get into our Bible study day, today, I want to continue to encourage you to um, send those prayer requests in, anything that you'd like for us to partner with you in prayer about or maybe you have a church announcement or something going on as it relates to the work of God, we'll be glad to put that on uh, each day's broadcast. So send that in to us. Let's pray and we'll get right into today's 
Bible study. Father in heaven, we love you today. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you, Lord, just for another privilege we have to come to you uh, by way of the Trumpet Series Bible study. Thank you for this open door. God, I pray that you would keep the door open. Bind hell that Satan might not be able to, to hinder uh, the Word of God as it goes out. I'm thankful for what your Word says, and that is that the Word of God is not bound. Speak to the hearts of those who are listening, those who are watching, God, whether it be by way of Facebook, YouTube, or by uh, way of podcast. Lord, I pray that you'd bless our listeners and our viewers. And God, I pray that your word would not return void. I pray you'd get the job done. Anoint the word of God as it's uh, declared today from behind this pulpit. And Lord, I pray that it wouldn't go forth, uh, God, uh, uh, by the mouths of, of, of our flesh, but Lord, it'd be accompanied and seasoned and saturated by the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be forgetful hearers only, but faithful doers of the work also. Honor your word, exalt your son by way of your humble servant today. And we're going to praise you in advance for who you are and what you do. And God, we love you today and we praise you. Lord, if there's one today that doesn't know you and is lost and has never been saved, I pray, God, that today might be their day of salvation. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. All right, last week we finished up chapter number three in our verse-by-verse study of Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, amen. We're about, um, let's see, we're about a quarter of the way through our study. Uh, uh, not quite, but again, as we uh, are through chapter number three in our verse-by-verse study of Paul's letter to the Romans. This week we're going to get right into a brand new section of the book as we begin looking at chapter number four of this marvelous book and for those of you who may have missed a couple of days or so we finished up the section of scripture on last week that deals with the sinfulness of man as it is described for us beginning in the last part of chapter one continuing on through the entirety of chapter number two and uh, uh, finishing up uh, with the majority of romans chapter number three but then we began dealing with the next primary principle of our study which is the righteousness of God that is made available to we sinners by way of justification through faith in Jesus Christ. Or as Wearsby so eloquently puts it in his outline of the book, in Romans chapter number 1 through 3, we find the righteousness of God demanded because of man's sin. Again, that's the righteousness of God demanded because of man's sin. But then at the end of chapter number 3, moving forward uh, on through chapter number 5, we find the righteousness uh, of God declared by way of man's salvation. Again, the righteousness of man declared by way of man's salvation. Uh, And again, the primary theme of the entire book of Romans is God's righteousness, the righteousness of God as it's revealed to us in Romans chapter number 1, verse number 17. In the last few verses of chapter 3, Paul introduced many of the great doctrinal truths of God's Word, such as justification, propitiation, and redemption. And my, didn't we have a time studying those wonderful truths. And Lord willing, we're going to continue to expound on many of those Thoughts as we continue our journey through Paul's letter to the Romans, Roman Christians. And by the way, I just want to say to you this evening, uh, you know, in our world today, the word doctrine has, has become a taboo uh, term. And, and, it, and, it, and it brings up negative uh, feelings and, and, and thoughts and attitudes in our minds. 
uh, regarding of the meaning of the word doctrine. Doctrine's not a bad thing, friend. In fact, doctrine is vital and essential uh, to our success as Christians. And by doctrine, we're just talking about the basic, fundamental, uh, and elementary teachings uh, of the Word of God uh, and the Christian faith. Now, uh, as long as we don't emphasize our doctrines uh, over what is the, the main thing and the primary emphasis of our faith, which is Jesus Christ, the gospel, that, uh, the, the death, salvation by way of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the main thing. But as we said in a previous study of the Word of God, just because it's not the main thing doesn't mean it's not a thing. And just it's not, just because it's not uh, the mo most important uh, priority of all doesn't mean it's not an important priority. And it's not something that we should focus on. Friend, you need to know what you believe. That's right. You know, that's something that troubles me in our day is just how many people have absolutely no idea uh, what they believe. And if you were to ask them, could you explain some of your basic doctrine and you know, just some of the basic principles you believe as it relates to the Word of God, you'd be amazed at how many people that have sat on church pews for years and years and years and they have absolutely no idea whatsoever how to explain the basic doctrines and the fundamental doctrines of the Scriptures. Uh, friend, doctrine is important in our beliefs and our ideas. You know, whether it be individually or as a local church, we need to know, know what we believe. And not only do we need to know what we believe, we need, we need to be aware of why we believe what we believe. Why? Because what you believe is important. And why you believe what you believe is important. As somebody once said, uh, what we believe determines how we behave. Our beliefs affect and determine our behavior. And we've got to make sure that we have the, the right ideas and the right philosophies and the right principles and the right doctrines concerning the Bible because our belief affects and in so many cases determines our behaviors. Uh, you know, I've known some churches. I've attended some churches. You know, there have been times in my life to where I was looking for a local church to, um, to, be, to be a member of and to affiliate myself with and you know, after I visited the church a time or two, I just asked them, you know, do you have a doctrinal statement? Or is there, do you have some sort of pamphlet, pamphlet or booklet that describes your basic doctrines? And, you know, I, it amazes me at just how many times that those churches were not able to provide me with any kind of basic documentation on what they believed. And you know why? I'm afraid that in a lot of cases, even the churches don't know what they believe. And even the pastors uh, that, that pastor and that oversee uh, the, the, the church, the, the local church body, they don't, they're clueless and they're, they're not totally convinced uh, on what they believe themselves, let alone what the church believes. Uh, and friend, I'll tell you, if I, if I were attending a church that didn't know what it believed, or could I even say it like this? If I attended a church that was ashamed of what it believed and that wasn't willing to preach its uh, basic fundamental beliefs or doctrines, I believe I'd find me a new church. Doctrine is important. 
Now again, that doesn't mean that we ought to be divisive or that we ought to be, um, amen, that we, we ought to split up with and not be willing to fellowship with people over minor doctrinal differences. Because I don't care who you are. Uh, you know, you put, you know, a hundred different people in a room and I'm talking about, you know, conservative Bible-believing Christians. We're all going to have some minor differences regarding what, just exactly what we believe uh, from a doctrinal point of view. That's all right. We don't have to divide. Why? Because... Um, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm telling you, one of these days, I believe God's going to reveal uh, to us the fact that we're all wrong about some things in one way or another. Uh, I don't have it all figured out, but I've got news for you. You don't either. Uh, amen. I, I'm convinced that the Baptist way is not necessarily the Jesus way. I, I'm, I'm a Baptist. I'm not ashamed to be a Baptist if I... We're ashamed to be a Baptist. I'd find me something else to be. But uh, first and foremost, over and above my affiliation with the Baptist movement, I'm a born-again Christian. And my allegiance and affiliation to the name of Jesus and the Christian faith as a whole supersedes and comes before my affiliation with the Baptist movement. Can I just go this far? And this is what we are. We here at United Baptist Church, we are an independent Baptist church. May I say we're a little eye independent Baptist church, not a big eye. We don't emphasize and we don't, uh, uh, we don't uh, major on our status as an independent Baptist church like some other churches do. But we are an independent Baptist church. But can I say this? Uh, I'm convinced that the independent Baptist movement doesn't have it all figured out. They don't have all the answers. And there's some things that they hold to and that they're strongly opinionated about and they've got their standards and convictions that they've developed in their own mind about what they believe and how uh, you know where things should should be conducted and how we should operate in the local church but you know that doesn't mean they're right about everything uh, and that doesn't mean that the way the independent baptists do things is the way that god would have us to do things why because doctrines movements conventions, associations, denominations. These are all man-made things. And because they're man-generated and man-produced, they're wrong. They're flawed. They're not perfect. So we need to be careful about just how dogmatic we are in our stand. Uh, amen. Regarding some of our minor doctrinal differences with one another. Friend, if, if you're a Baptist and, and you're not willing to fellowship with other Baptists over... Uh, minor and trivial issues, I mean, just exactly what are you going to accomplish in your faith? You know, Christianity is not to be carried out individually or in an isolated manner. It's to, to be carried out uh, collectively and cooperatively, not just between uh, individual brothers and sisters in Christ, but I believe between various local churches. You know, if we're, if we're uh, Christian, you know, and, and if, we are, if we have some similarities as it relates to the major uh, and uh, fundamental uh, doctrines of the faith, we ought to be able to cooperate with other churches. We ought to get, be able to get along with other churches. We ought to be able to fellowship with other churches that might believe uh, just a little bit differently than we do. And, and churches that may conduct themselves and operate 
uh, in fashions that are not just exactly the way we operate. They may dot their I's or cross their T's. Uh, not just exactly like we do. That's okay. Amen. Uh, God's purpose for His people is not for us to achieve uniformity. When uniformity means that we're all exactly alike in everything. Unity means that we're able to get along in spite of our differences. Amen. And that's so, what's so wonderful is to say about the church. And that's, uh, you know, the phenomenon of the local church is the fact that, you know, we can come together and work together and cooperate and carry out the work of God and wave the blood-stained banner and blow our gospel's trumpet in spite of our differences. Amen. But, and boy, hadn't I ran a rabbit tonight on that one. I say all that to say we need to uh, know what we believe and we don't need to be ashamed of doctrine and we need to preach the doctrines of the faith, you know, so many of which are found right here in the book of Romans. So we're going to continue to develop these truths as we move forward in our study of Paul's letter to the Romans. Amen. But today let's move forward by beginning. I know I lost some listeners on that. I know some of you turned it off. Some of, some of them, amen, stiff neck, uh, uh, amen, Baptist folk. I, I'm sure they cut me off and they labeled me as a heretic. Uh, but if that be treason, you make the most of it. Amen. So let's move forward tonight by beginning our study of chapter number four, which basically provides us with an illustration regarding justification by faith. Again, justification by faith is the truth that uh, Paul introduced uh, during last week's study uh, as it is found at the end of chapter number three in the book of Romans. Uh, amen. But now he's going to illustrate it and demonstrate it to us in and through the life of Abraham, who we know was the great father and patriarch of the Jewish faith. Personally, I consider this to be a brilliant stroke of genius on Paul's part, obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, considering how highly the Jews esteemed Abraham in their own eyes as they considered him to be the founding father of the Hebrew nation. But why I believe Paul viewed it to be so important for him to use Abraham to illustrate the doctrine of justification by faith is because of just how controversial and taboo of a doctrine this must have been for so many uh, uh, of Paul's Jewish audience. If you remember from the last week's study, Paul had introduced two new principles that I'm sure ruffled some feathers and rocked the boat the theological boat in his day. Uh, two new ideas that I'm sure came as a huge blow to the Jews and to whom he was preaching and writing. Remember, Paul used to be a Pharisee of the Pharisee, a Hebrew of a Hebrew. He was a mentor. He was a teacher. He was an adherent, uh, amen, and a, and a fierce advocate of the Jewish faith. And now Paul was revealing this new uh, doctrine of justification of faith that could occur without uh, the deeds of the law. The, 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 the fact that we as human beings, as sinners, can, can obtain uh, righteousness in the sight of a holy God um, without necessarily keeping, observing, or adhering to the law of God. And we talked about that, how that Paul reveals to us that the law was never given 
to remove man's sin, but to reveal man's sin. That's right. The law was not given to remove sin, but to reveal the existence of sin. Uh, the law was never uh, given out in order to make man righteous because God knew when He uh, first revealed the law unto the Jewish people, He knew that it could never uh, make man righteous because man was simply unable to uh, keep the, the righteous uh, demands of the law. Amen. Uh, but, but so, so again... It was not given out. The law was not given out to make men righteous, but to reveal the awfulness and the dreadfulness of man's sin. So the first taboo thought that Paul provided to his Jewish audience was the fact that man could be made righteous by an outside source. Something other than and besides the law. Uh, and, I, and again, by way of justification by faith. Man could become righteous. But secondly, not only that, not only that there was a way for man to obtain a righteous standing before a thrice holy God, but also that other people besides the Jews could also uh, obtain a righteous standing before God. That not only could Jews be saved, but also that this offer of salvation, this offer that God was providing men to be made righteous and to become righteous, and to stand before God justified just as if they'd never sinned, not by observing the law, but by faith, it was available not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And again, these Jews took pride in what they perceived to be the exclusive nature of God's favor and His preferential treatment of them. And that was a source of natural, uh, national pride for the Jews, thinking that they were somehow elite, and so, so that, that they were somehow favored and that God had, had a prejudice against the heathen nations and against the, the, the Gentile nations in favor of the Jews. And all of a sudden here you have this man, again, that used to be a contender and an adherent to the law. Now they see this man that they used to respect and admire as a teacher and a mentor of the law. Now he is preaching and promoting Doctrines that in their mind were absolutely and totally contrary to the law of God. Of course, we pointed out last week how that Paul had not or had already established the fact that justification by faith did not contradict, negate, or undermine the law, but it instead fulfilled, complemented, and completed the law that had first been given out to the Jewish people. And according to the, the writings of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter number 3, it wasn't as if uh, the, the principle of justification by faith, that it, con it was contrary to the law or that it, it, it somehow negated or undermined the Mosaic law, but it instead fulfilled, complemented, and completed the law. That's right. Justification uh, by faith as it is presented to us here in the book of Romans by the Apostle Paul, it does not work against the law, but it works with and it complements. And it goes together with the law. It fulfills the law. It complements the law. And it completes the law of God. Without justification by faith, the law would be of none effect. But without the law, justification 
uh, by faith would not be necessary. It takes both parts to establish and to fulfill the complete plan of God as it relates to how unworthy sinners could be justified and made righteous in the sight of a thrice holy God. Paul had to find a way to prove to them that this new doctrine of justification by faith was indeed correct and how that God's intended purpose for the opportunity for men to be made righteous had been uh, all along to include the Gentiles along with the Jews as well. And in my opinion, of course I believe all of this was according to the inspiration of the Holy Ghost as it impressed him, as it illuminated his mind and inspired the words that he wrote down on the page, uh, the parchments. But, but the Lord inspired uh, and influenced Paul to come up with the perfect example to use. Uh, amen. To, to, to uh, establish this fact that the law uh, and justification by faith was according to God's plan all along. And he came up with this example to use by way of Abraham, a man of whom the Jews had long uh, esteemed, respected, and considered to be the greatest of all patriarchs as well as the father of the Jewish people. So let's get right into it tonight. We'll, get, we'll try our best to get through the first five verses. First of all, verse 1, What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? Here Paul introduces Abraham as being a man who he will ultimately shows, show provides us with the example of all examples how that a man can be justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And if you study the life of Abraham, Abraham provides, provides us with the greatest example in the scriptures regarding what it means to live by faith. Not only to trust uh, God through faith to save him, but also to trust God by faith to meet and to provide for the daily needs that existed in his life. And when Paul here uses the phrase pertaining to the flesh, I believe he is talking about the ordinance and the rite of circumcision, which we have obviously already talked about in our study, but also a subject that is addressed later on right here in this chapter. Basically, this question that Paul was using to challenge his readers concerning uh, whether or not Abraham was justified according to the law, the ordinance of the flesh... Uh, also known as circumcision, or whether or not Abraham was justified by faith, which the apostle had addressed in the previous chapter. So that's the dilemma. How was the father of the Hebrew nation made righteous? The great patriarch, the patriarch of patriarchs of the Jewish faith, how was he uh, declared on the authority of the high court of heaven to be made righteous. Was it, by, was it by and according to his adherence of the law? Or was it according to this newfound principle that Paul establishes known as justification by faith rather than works? And that brings up the option, verse number two, for if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory. Here we see how that if upon examining the life of Abraham, we could come to the conclusion that Abraham could indeed stand before God on the basis of his works and be justified or declared righteous, then Abraham certainly would have uh, every right and reason to find glory in himself if he were able to 
keep the law uh, completely. If, he, if Abraham, this man of whom the Jews respected and revered and almost idolized and worshipped as the great patriarch of the Hebrew faith, uh, amen, was Abraham, this man of all men, was he able to obtain righteousness by uh, adhering to, by observing, and by way of the keeping of God's law? So when we examine Abraham's life and after we present all the evidence before the court of heaven regarding the life by which he lived, could the court find Abraham out to be innocent? And could the great judge of heaven declare him to be righteous and justified on the grounds and on the basis of his own good works? And if the answer to that question is yes, that Abraham would have again had every right and reason to find glory in himself and his own name. So that's the question. How was Abraham justified? How was he made righteous? Was he made righteous by his own ability to adhere to and to keep and observe the law of God? Or was he made righteous by way of justification by faith? Now here's the determination, verse number 2, but not before God. So regardless of how the Jewish people might want to view or portray Abraham, almost as if he were some god or idol to be worshipped, kind of like the Catholic Church idolizes and worships Mary, there's uh, a lot of lessons we can learn from the life of Mary, just like we can learn uh, the lessons of faith uh, in and from the life of Abraham. Mary was a wonderful uh, woman who found favor with God. Amen. She sure was. She was a woman who found favor. She was highly favored. But friend, regardless of what the Roman Catholic Church would have you to believe, Mary was not sinless. Uh, it's wrong for, for us. It's wrong for the Catholic Church to idolize or attempt to deify Mary and uh, promote her and, and exalt her to an object that is worthy of worship. No, my friend, Mary was a sinner in need of a Savior. Mary, if it hadn't been for the Savior that, that was born uh, of her body, yes, he was virgin born, but if Jesus would have never been born into this world, and if he had never died on an old, old rugged cross, Mary would have split hell wide open just like any other sinner. She, needed, she bore not just the world's Savior, but she birthed her very own Savior into the world to save her from her sins just like Jesus saved us from our sins. So again, if an honest evaluation back to Abraham and uh, upon a non-biased estimation and examination of Abraham's life were to be given, especially in the sight of a thrice holy God, Abraham would have no reason to glory. And he, just like every other human being, would fall short of God's standard and below the quite required level that God demanded and expected out of his life according to the holy law of God. In other words, not even Abraham, the most highly esteemed patriarch and the man who was considered to be the very father of the Jewish faith, not even he could obtain righteousness or be justified on the basis of his own uh, good works. Amen. In other words, not even Abraham uh, uh, could uh, brag or boast. Even Abraham's righteousnesses were as of filthy rags. Amen. Those, uh, those pus-filled 
dirty rags that had been used to bandage uh, infected wounds and sores. Amen. That's uh, the way we can describe the righteousness of even the great patriarch of the Hebrew faith. Amen. When examining the life of Abraham, he is found out to be nothing but a good-for-nothing, filthy, rotten sinner just like the rest of us. And just one example of this can be found in how he ruined his own testimony before the Egyptian king and people by lying about the true identity of his wife Sarah. If you study the, the life of Abraham, you'll find that he was not a perfect man. He did not uh, keep the law fully and totally and completely. Amen. And he was not able to fulfill the righteous demands of a holy God by way of his own good works. And in doing so, Abraham violated one of the Ten Commandments where the Bible commands us in Exodus 2016, 20, Thou shalt not bear false witness. In other words, Abraham was a liar. And in, and in lying to Pharaoh about the, the true identity of his own wife, Abraham was guilty of violating the righteous demands of a holy God. According to the Scripture, if you're guilty of breaking any part of God's law, you are in essence guilty of breaking the entire law of God. You see, friend, even Abraham, as great of a man as he was, could not obtain righteousness or be justified by keeping God's law. Why? Because he fell short of God's uh, standard. And he did not live up to the level that God required for him to live up to and to meet. Why? Because just like all the rest of us human beings, his life came up short. He fell below the standard of God's requirements for obtaining righteousness by way of the law. And he would be issued a sentence, a ruling, and a verdict of guilty as charged as an old wicked, depraved, and guilty sinner. Yes, I'm talking about Abraham. If Abraham, one of the greatest men who ever lived, could not obtain righteousness by way of his own good works and through his own efforts to keep and obey God's law, then I don't think any of, us, of the rest of us uh, have a fighting chance at, at being able to do so either. Amen. If Abraham couldn't obtain righteousness by the keeping, the observance, and the adherence of the law, then none of us can either. And I don't think anybody would even dare say that Abraham went to hell. Amen? No. Uh, amen. That's evidence in uh, Luke chapter number 16, the record of uh, Lazarus, poor man Lazarus, uh, and the rich man. As the rich man lifted up his eyes in hell, whereas poor man Lazarus died and he lifted up his eyes, he found himself in Abraham's bosom, also known as paradise. No, Abraham was declared righteous by God. He was justified. Amen. Not by the adherence, the observance, or the keeping of the law. But if that wasn't the case, then just exactly how was Abraham justified? And how did he obtain uh, righteousness in God's sight? Well, verse number 3, we find a quotation where the Bible says, For what saith the Scripture? Paul said, let me give you Bible to back this up. He said, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Here Paul provides a proverbial mic drop moment. Amen. I'm not going to drop the mic today, but he's providing a mic drop moment where he could just walk away and say, uh, what more evidence is needed? What more do I need to say? In his argument regarding the nature by which just exactly how Abraham was justified and declared righteous by God. And the way he does so is by using Old Testament Scripture that provides us with the account of Abraham's life to verify his claim. Now before we get to this, 
Can I just say this? When it comes to earnestly contending for the faith once delivered unto the saints, and when it comes to, uh, amen, debating, and I don't know if I like the word arguing, but defending and standing up for what we believe in this world, don't use our own philosophies. Don't use your own ideas and your own thoughts according to why you believe it's right. Hey, just uh, back it up with the Scripture. Just tell them what the Bible says, friend. Amen. And if they're going to try to argue with the Word of God, then you're wasting your time anyway. So Paul is trying to uh, establish the premise of his uh, argument and of his defense here by saying, amen, that the Bible provides clear-cut evidence just as it relates to how Abraham was justified and declared righteous by God. And it had nothing to do with his ability to keep, to observe, or to adhere to the Jewish law. Genesis 15, 6, the Bible says, And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord. Let me say that again. And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he counted it unto him for righteousness. And this verse occurs within the context of the promise that God gave Abraham regarding the sending of a seed that would number the stars in the heaven and the sands of the seashore through which all the families of the world would be blessed. God gave Abraham a promise. He said, I'm going to give you a son in your old age. Uh, amen. And it's through that son, it's through your seed, amen, that, that your family is going to multiply and is going to number uh, the stars in heaven and the sands of the seashore. And it's through that seed and it's through your family that all the families of the world would be blessed. And as a result of the word of God that was spoken to Abraham and the promises that were given to Abraham by a holy God, Abraham had a choice. Abraham had a choice to make. Was he going to believe God? Or was he going to, uh, amen, was he going to uh, not believe God? Was he going to uh, reject the word of God as it was given out to him according to the original Genesis account of Abraham's life to which the Jews uh, revered and respected, amen, uh, amen, and claimed to observe. Abraham simply believed God's promise concerning the giving of the seed and as a result the Bible says that the Lord accounted his belief, his faith, his trust unto him so he might be able to obtain righteousness and be justified in the sight of a holy God. Again, not by the works he did, but because of the faith that he had. Let me say that one more time. Abraham was justified and made righteousness not by the works he did, but because of the faith which he had. Now I want to remind you that Abraham's faith was not void or empty of works, but it was accompanied and proven by his works. And the real and true faith Abraham had in God's promises, it was demonstrated by the acts and works of obedience he did in order to provoke to prove the genuineness and the sincerity of his faith. Amen. In other words, Abraham was not made righteous by what he did, but what he did proved, revealed, and showed that Abraham was righteous uh, and he pro pro possessed genuine uh, saving faith by placing faith, trust, and confidence in the promises of God. Or as the book of James says it best, faith without works is dead. Uh, real faith, listen to me tonight, is not a, a trusting act. Real faith is an active trust. Amen. Show me your faith 
without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Now what that means is that we can study the life of Abraham and we can find all kinds of evidence that proves the fact that his faith was real and sincere. It wasn't just an idea of his mind. It wasn't just a confession of his mouth. It wasn't some philosophy he had about the promises of God. But it's something, it's an active trust. Amen. A confidence, an assurance, and a faith that was backed up and verified and confirmed by the life that he lives and the choices he made. Amen. The life of Abraham did not contradict the belief or the confession that he had, the belief in his mind or the confession that came out of his mouth. No, uh, the life that Abraham lived confirmed his faith and did not contradict his faith. Let me ask you tonight, friend, does your life confirm your faith as, or does it contradict your faith? Amen. Do, 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 does our attitudes and our actions and the deeds that we do, does it confirm and, or does it back up what we profess about the Word of God and what we profess about the Bible and what we profess about who Jesus Christ is, is it verified, is it backed up by the actions, the deeds, and the works of our lives? Amen. That has a lot to say with uh, whether or not our faith is real or whether or not our faith is false. There is such a thing as a false faith. Amen. Imputation. We could preach about that all night. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. Verse number two. Here the word counted is derived from the Greek word that simply means to impute, to count, or to put towards one's account. And from this word is which another one of the great doctrines of the faith, imputation, comes from. Not just justification, redemption, or propitiation, but now we have imputation. The doctrine of imputation simply means to apply or put towards one's account. This goes right back to the illustration we used regarding the cashing out of a check or the accrediting of a payment that was made towards a balance or a debt that has been accrued. And by the way, the doctrine of imputation is very similar to the doctrine of propitiation, which also means to apply to one's account. Amen. And maybe the best way to understand the difference between propitiation and imputation is to know that propitiation refers to the moment, the time, or the place in which the transaction or the, the payment was made. Whereas imputation refers more to the actual transaction itself taking place. You see, preacher, I'm all confused. Well, how about this? When we think about propitiation, we're referring more to the bank or the location where the check was cashed out. Amen. The place where it took the time and the place. Whereas with imputation... Amen. I'm talking about the difference between propitiation. Propitiation talks about the time and the place. Amen. The bank where the, where the check was cashed out. Obviously, I'm illustrating here tonight. Whereas with imputation, we're speaking more towards the teller. The one who actually made the deposit for the one who was presenting the check or the payment. Amen. If I've got a check that, that I, I desperately need to be to deposit it into my account. I take it to the bank. That's propitiation. Amen. But when I, I go to the bank and I, I drive up to the window and I, and I, and I, 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 uh, I see the teller and I put it in the box and send it over to her and when she actually, that moment, that exact moment to where she takes that check, stamps it, 
Amen. Runs it through the little machine. And, and the next thing I know, I can go, uh, amen, to my, to my app on my phone and look, and it's going to show that the funds have been deposited, uh, amen, and that the transaction has been made. That is, amen, not propitiation, amen, uh, but that uh, is imputation, imputed, accounted towards, applied to. How many of you are thankful tonight, Amen, that the check's been the check was not voided, but it cleared the account, Amen. It didn't bounce, Hallelujah, because there were sufficient funds available, not by my own good works or by my own deeds or efforts, Amen, or my ability to keep the law, but Amen. The available funds did not come through anything I had or possessed but they were given to me by way of the blood of Jesus and the righteousness of Christ that was imputed, amen, accounted and applied to my account. Amen. How many of you are thankful that there were sufficient funds? <laughs> when, when God came to collect the debt that you owed, how many of you are thankful that, that He didn't look under your account, uh, amen, and the check bounced? And there was insufficient funds. But how many of you are, are you thankful, amen, that he found, uh, amen, the sufficient funds? And he, he, he found that there was an available balance to collect the great debt you and I owed. Hallelujah, glory to God. Thankful for the, not just the doctrine of propitiation, but also the doctrine of imputation. Now there's a compensation, verse number four. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Here Paul reveals how that our works as human beings are not done or performed as a means or a way so that we might obtain grace or salvation from God. But any good deeds, any works or efforts that we may perform as human beings after we have been justified and after we have already been declared righteous, not by our ability to keep the law, but by justification that occurred through faith. They are done as a form of repayment and retribution on behalf of the fact that we have already been justified and already been declared righteous in the sight of a holy God. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are saved not by works, not by good deeds, not by our own merit or efforts, the ability of our own flesh to keep the law, but we're saved by grace through faith. Plus nothing, minus nothing. But then, uh, verse number 9, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In other words, we're not saved by our works, but we are saved unto good works. So that the good works we do or perform after we get saved may be offered up as an expression of love, appreciation, and thanksgiving unto the Lord for saving our unworthy and undeserving souls. We might say it this way, after we get saved, because we are not our own and because we no longer belong to ourselves, even though we will never succeed in doing so, we must spend our lives attempting to repay the Lord as a form of appreciation, thanksgiving, and gratitude for all He's done for us and on our behalf. This is the month of thanksgiving. One way you can show the Lord that you truly are thankful and you really do appreciate 
All He's done on your behalf is to obey Him, to submit yourself to Him, to yield your life unto a life of obedience and adherence unto His holy word. I'm talking about doing good works uh, as an expression and a show of our gratitude and appreciation for all He's done. Right now there's a distinction, verse number 5, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him ju that justifieth the ungodly, and his faith is counted unto him for righteousness. Again, imputation to count towards, to apply to. His faith, not his works, but his faith is counted for righteousness. Even to the one that does not work, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly. Here Paul draws a distinction and makes a contrast between the statement that he made in verse 4 regarding the real purpose for man's works and the principle he lays out in verse number 5 regarding how man can obtain righteousness and be justified by faith even if he has not been able to do or perform any good works. Amen. In other words, a person can be saved. Now don't get me wrong, I believe that a person who is genuinely saved by faith, if he, if he expresses and demonstrates real faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary, if, he, if his faith is sufficient uh, for the God of heaven to declare him righteous and to justify him, not by his work, but by his faith, then I believe that there's going to be whatever time he has left to live, he's, there's going to be some works. There's going to be some fruit. There's going to be some workmanship uh, that, that demonstrate and prove the, sincer the sincerity and the genuineness of that man or woman's faith. Well, what about a person who does not have time to demonstrate good works? Uh, they, 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 they demonstrate or they express faith. They profess genuine, sincere, and real faith in Jesus Christ in order to obtain righteousness and to be declared justified by God. But yet they're unable to do any good works. Maybe they're on their deathbed. Well, there's a good example of this in the, in the Word of God, and I'm sure some of, some of you are ahead of me and you know just exactly where I'm headed. A perfect example of this truth is found in the thief on the cross, who because he professed faith in Jesus at such a late time in his life, and by the way, I don't advise that, but the thief on the cross provides us the example that there is such a thing as a deathbed confession, so to speak. But just before he died, that thief was unable to perform any good works. After he got saved and after he made a genuine heartfelt profession of faith in the Lord. And I'm sure you remember the account while the crowds jeered him and mocked him. Uh, amen. And while even the one on the other side, the thief on one side, amen, he joined in the crowd uh, that was mocking Jesus and was uh, uh, making fun of Jesus and was ridiculing him and blaspheming him and say, if you be God, why don't you come down from the cross and save us? But on the other side of Jesus, hanging there, that there was an old thief that just before he died, as he was in the process of drawing his last breaths on this side, he was, he was hanging by a thread between heaven and earth. Heaven and hell, excuse me. Uh, he, was 
His eternal destination was hanging by a thread. He was being suspended, not just on an old rugged cross, but in over the flames and fires. I believe the fires and the flames of hell were already licking at the feet of that thief who hanged there, suspended between heaven and hell. Hanging not just by a cross, but hanging by a thread over hell. But just before he died and just before he breathed his last breath, that, that thief looked out in an attitude of desperation. He had nowhere else to turn. He had no, no hope, no other hope, nobody else to look towards. And I believe not just uh, out of an attitude of desperation, but also out of, a, out, of a, out of a plea of sincere, genuine, and real faith. That thief said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus heard his cry, answered his plea, and he gave him this promise. He gave him this promise just before that old thief died and went out into eternity. Jesus told that thief, he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That is an example of somebody who is saved by faith, even though they do not have the ability or opportunity to uh, do any good works to prove or demonstrate the reality of their faith. That thief's faith was real, even though he didn't have time to demonstrate it or back it up by the life he lived or by the good works he might or would have done otherwise. And even though there were no good works to back up or to go along with his faith, that thief's faith was counted and imputed under the account of his life for righteousness and justification absolutely and totally without any good works or deeds to go along with it. And isn't, just this, isn't this just a beautiful and masterful illustration that we can use to show how a man can be justified by faith without works, first in the life of Abraham, but secondly in the life of the thief who hung beside Jesus on an old rugged cross. Preacher, how do you know that that thief really did obtain righteousness? And how do you know that he truly was justified? Amen. Because after the, the thief asked the Lord to remember him, Jesus responded by promising him and affirming to him that today thou shalt be with me in paradise. In essence, what he was saying was that even though there are no good works to accompany or go along with your faith, you are still justified and I'm still declaring you righteous even though you're dying. You're being punished and you're being put to death rightfully for the thief and the sinner that you are. But when that old thief lifted up his eyes in paradise, I don't believe he, God saw him any longer as a thief. Hallelujah. But I believe the Lord saw him, amen, as a man who'd been justified and as a man who just had the righteousness of Jesus Christ accounted and imputed unto his life. Amen. And when the Lord came to check the account and to see whether or not there was sufficient funds available or whether or not that check that was offered out to pay his debt would, would be, could be cashed or whether or not it would bounce, I believe he saw the blood of his darling son in the righteousness of the Savior. And he said there's sufficient funds available so we're going to uh, cash the check and we're going to impute the payment. Under his account. He's justified. He's declared righteous. Even as he died, he was put to death. Uh, he suffered the death penalty for the sin of lying and the, 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 the sin of being a thief. Yet, he's been justified, declared righteous, and just 
as if he'd never sinned. Not because of anything he did or because of any works he had performed because he didn't have any time to do any good works. But all because of the sincere faith he possessed and all because of the genuine profession he made in the finished work of Jesus. Amen. That Jesus was making not just before or in front of him, but for him as he suffered, bled, and died for that old thief's sins on Calvary's cross. I, I really believe that there came a point in time as Jesus, as that old thief, you think about that, you put yourself in that thief's place. You know that you only have moments to live. You're hanging in the balance between uh, heaven and hell. And as far as man's uh, concerned, your, your, destiny is, uh, your destination has been sealed because you're, putting, uh, you're being put to death rightfully. You're suffering the death penalty for your thievery and for the fact that you've broken the law of God. But yet as you sat there, maybe, or hang there, hung there, and under the heaviness and the burden, not just of, of the cross uh, that you were hanging from, and as, as it took every last ounce of energy and effort on your behalf just to pull yourself up far enough uh, to, to take a breath, just to, 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 to uh, suck enough air into your lungs so that you could gasp just an, uh, another bullet breath. Maybe you glanced over and you saw that blood trickling down off the body of Jesus. Amen. And you saw, amen, those nails that were hanging out of the innocent and the perfect and the sinless, sinless flesh of the Savior that was being crucified, the Lamb of God. Amen. And uh, as you saw that blood that was running down, amen, from the, from the wounds in His head where that crown of thorns had been pressed so deeply down into His brow. And all of a sudden, maybe the Holy Ghost of God pricked that old thief's heart and said, He's doing it for you. Amen. He's dying not for his sins, but he's dying for your sins. He's paying the price not for the sins he committed, but for the thievery you did. He's dying so that you could live. He's shedding that blood as a payment. Uh, amen. As a, and as a retribution, not for his own sins, but for the sins that you committed. Amen. And why don't you cry out to him? Why don't you put your faith and trust in him? And all because of the sincere faith that that thief possessed. And all because of the genuine profession that he made and the finished work that Jesus was making not just before him and in front of him, but on his behalf, on that thief that was dying on his behalf as Jesus suffered, bled, and died for that old thief and that old sinner's sins on Calvary's rugged cross. And I believe that once he lifted up his eyes, amen, in Abraham's bosom and in paradise. Maybe that they sung that song. What sins are you talking about? Hallelujah. I don't remember them anymore from the book of life. They've all been thrown out. I don't remember them anymore. As far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against us anymore. You ask me why I'm happy. Well, I'll tell you why that old thief said because I know my sins are gone. They're underneath the blood. They've been washed away by the blood of the one that was slain on Calvary. The very one that I hung beside and watched as the, the blood trickled and dripped down off of his body and down onto the grass. 
uh, off of that old rugged cross. Man, that thief was saved. He was justified. He was declared righteous, not by way of his good efforts, deeds, or works. He didn't have the time to offer up any good works. All he'd been, he'd spent his entire life as a thief, but God saved him on the basis of the faith that he, that he placed, the confession that he made, the profession of faith that he made in the finished work of Jesus as he offered up his blood and his his body on behalf of that old sinner who was dying right beside him. Amen. What sins are you talking about? Aren't you thankful today that your sins have been washed away? Aren't you thankful that just like that old faith, you've been justified, you've been declared righteous just as if you've never sinned? Amen. Your sins are gone. They've been washed away. They've not just been covered up. They've just not been. They've not just been rolled forward. But they're been. They've been removed. They've been taken out of your account. They've been replaced. The the debt, the sin debt that used to exist in your account has been replaced by a full payment that's been made. And now. The check won't, be, won't bounce, but there's sufficient funds by way of the blood and the righteousness of our Savior. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for another opportunity we have tonight to come to, the, to our audience, whether they be listening or viewing the Trumpet Series Bible Study broadcast. Lord, what a blessing it's been just to share these words regarding the life of Abraham and the thief on the cross, those who were justified not by their works but by faith, Lord, they declared right, they were declared righteous by the high court of heaven. And Lord, they're in heaven today, Lord, on the basis, not of anything they did, not by any works of righteousness which they performed, but Lord, all because of the blood uh, and the righteousness of Jesus that was imputed and applied and accounted unto their, uh, the ledger of their balance. Friend, I'm thankful, Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, God, that the check won't void. I'm thankful that when you examine and inspect the account of my life, the debt's gone. The sin debt's been paid for and there's sufficient funds available through your blood and through your righteousness. Amen. So that the check can be uh, cashed and the balance can be cleared. Lord, I love you today and I thank you. Lord, I pray your blessings would be upon the preaching of thy word. God, that it might go forth to those who are viewing and watching and listening today. Thank you, God, for the open door of the Trumpet Series Bible Study Broadcast. Give us another opportunity tomorrow, Lord, as we proclaim your word, as we spare not, but we cry aloud and lift up our voices like a trumpet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good night. See you tomorrow. God bless.